Welcome, welcome to Live Courageously podcast show number 18 of 2023. I'm your host, John Duffy, and this is the 34th live Live Courageously podcast show since I started the show a year and a half ago. If you haven't seen the previous 33 podcasts with some of my amazing, courageous friends sharing their powerful stories of overcoming all odds and going on to live powerful lives and making a difference in the world, you can watch them on John Duffy Live Courageously YouTube channel. And I have another 75 plus friends planned to be guests on my future show. So please subscribe to my uh, Live Courageously YouTube channel at Duff Square Film and keep coming back every Sunday at 2 p.m. Well, today's show wasn't planned and I thought I was going to cancel the show because I'm in pre-production on a feature film that Bo Brinkman is directing in Alpharetta, Georgia. And I hadn't lined up a guest for the show. But as we were hanging out, he started to share some stories with me from his life. And I knew he was the perfect guest for this week's show. So today, my friend and guest is Bo Brinkman, and Bo is someone who has lived a very adventurous and courageous life. Born in Houston and raised in Pasadena, Texas, Bo graduated two years early from high school and left home. He backpacked up Hilo, Hawaii, and lived in a tent for several months, surviving on papaya, coconuts, and fish that he speared off the coast. He also worked as an iron worker while studying theater at the Texas State University and later at the University of Houston. His first year in New York, Bo discovered an unused basement under a restaurant in Greenwich Village, built a 60-seat theater, and founded the Cactus Theater. During that time, Bo produced, directed, and acted in almost 30 plays. Company members and special guests included people like James Gandolfini, Melissa Gilbert, Susan Aston, Penn Gillette of Penn and Teller, D.B. Sweeney, and Will Hare. Bo's play, Ice House, the first play in his house Trilogy was first produced at the Cactus Theater and had a successful nine-month run at the Henry Wyatt Theater on the Lower East Side. Ice House was also produced in Los Angeles at the Company of Characters Theater. Bo also directed it there. He later wrote the screenplay adaption, produced, starred, and directed Second Unit when Ice House was made into a feature film. His play, The Hen House, was also developed at the Cactus Theater and later produced off-Broadway at the Howard Kellerman Theater in New York. Bay House... Bo's last installment of the House Trilogy was developed at the Actors Studio in New York and produced at the Bond Theater, um, 500-seat theater in Augusta, Michigan. Bo became a lifetime member of the Actors Studio in 1988 and was also a member of the Playwrights Directors Unit of the studio where he wrote and developed such plays as Card Shock, um, um, Mark, Presido, uh, Mark, excuse me, Presido, The Godmugger, and Beirut Barfly. He moved to LA in 1990 and jumped into film work, including supporting roles in such films as Bail Jumper, Laws of Deception, uh, which he also co-produced, and Occupational Hell, Avenging Angel, Face of the Serpent, which Bo also co-produced. He played opposite Martin Sheen in the movie Gettysburg and later reprised the same role opposite Robert Duvall in the Civil War epic Gods and Generals. But all that is his acting and his directing and his uh, um, playwriting career. And But there's another side to Bo, and that's kind of what, what I found out when we were hanging out, uh, when he had told me some stories about when he traveled and lived in the Sudan during the second civil war that was going on. And we're going to explore that today as well. And I think you're going to find it as fascinating as I did. So with that, let me um, welcome Bo to the show. And thank you, Bo, for being part of it. And I'm, you know, I thank you for having me on this movie to help you uh, line produce it. Thank God you're with us. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's been a, a, a fun, we've been here a week and we've had a great fun time and it's going to be challenging. But then again, I don't, I got a feeling that everything you're involved in is always a, a little bit of challenge there. Am I wrong? Oh, yeah. right. 
somehow we we make it through. Exactly, know? exactly. Well, I got two questions for you that I always like to open the show is because um, is one is how did we meet? When do you uh, re remember when we actually met um, the first time? Well, through our our friend Mark Bovey. Um, but we worked on, didn't we work on a reason? Weren't you on a show that we were both in? We were in a, in a movie together, but we didn't know each other. And, and you know, you're funny that you, you mentioned that because I'm, you know, that was something I just realized as I was doing the research for this show. And th that was this thing right Bail here. Bail jumper. <laughs> Bail jumper. I, I, didn't, I didn't remember that we had acted together in a movie and yeah. that was back in New York. And that's why I asked you today without telling you that uh, it screened at the um, Angelica Theater Angelica. Mm -hmm. in the Lower East Side in Manhattan. And that was the first time for me that I'd ever seen myself on a big screen. And it freaked me out, man. I was like, I was totally freaked out by it. But uh, I, I played like, I think a truck driver who, you know, uh, I, I forget the actual scene, but yeah, we, we both acted in that back in the, when, when was that? That was probably. Was that the eighties? Yeah, man. It must've been the eighties. Eight or 89. Yeah. Or maybe so, earlier. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know if we were actually on set at the same time, or I don't know if you got to go, if you got a chance to go to that screening at the Angelica. No, I was, I was there. So we were both there at the screen and did not yeah. actually get to know or meet each other. In our twenties. Yeah, and then many, years, yeah. many years later. I mean, this is wild. It's blowing my mind. But um, and then we met with uh, I think at the Magic Castle with uh, Marcus Bovey, mm -hmm. who uh, uh, introduced us at that point. And then we also ended up uh, when you had a screening of uh, your film Last Man's Club in D.C. and during the GI Film Festival, we hung out there as well. Yes, oh, that was fun. Yeah. yeah, and we'll and we'll take a look at a trailer from uh, the Last Man's Club. Which, it was a very cool film, so we're going to get a chance to look at that. The audience is going to look at that in a minute. Cool. The other question I always like to ask, and you know, here in your life, besides you know uh, going to Hawaii and then working as an iron worker, and then you know creating this theater, and then going on to obviously they'll hear later going on to the Sudan. What is the what does live courageously mean to you? Well, I mean, I you can't be a fearful person and 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 live courageously or even live um, just live. I mean, you know, being fearful is is a horrible state to be in, and I I see it a lot. Um, um, my faith gets me through everything that I want to uh, try and achieve or uh, try and or or you know or do do not attempt but do. Um, yeah, um, I can't imagine going through life without faith. I mean, that sounds pretty scary to me. <laughs> so it's that's what it is for me. Um, I, I, you know, I try to. I as a kid and onward, I've tried to achieve goals and and dreams. Uh, you know, a goal to me is is a dream with a deadline, and uh, and my faith. Um, gives me the energy and the fearlessness to be courageous. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It, do, it does. And, and you know, um, to go back a little bit, you know, how did you go on the journey, you know, from growing up in uh, a small, you know, in Texas, you know, to go on to become a creative person, to go on that journey, to become a uh, playwright, an actor, what, what was that? What drove you down that, that, that path in your life? What was it? 
I, I think it's the uh, the uh, always the grain of sand that cultures the cultures the pearl. I grew up in a you know um, a, a blue collar neighborhood. Uh, all the the uh, fathers had bought these little track brick veneer homes on the GI Bill after World War II, and um, my dad's threat to me was, well, you know, if you don't get an education and do something, you're going to wind out at the refinery with me. Is that what you want? You know? And I was like, no, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I was the first guy kid to venture off my block. You know, I got bored with all the stuff going on on my block, baseball and all that. I loved it, but I started venturing off the block when I was about six or seven years old and I know, and I haven't stopped. I'm still venturing off the block. Um, well, it's, you know, it, it, your life has definitely been but adventurous and, and a ball of it, you know, is there, you know, you wrote plays, you acted, you directed plays, then you moved on from the world of uh, theater into the world of movie um, and feature films and, and also documentaries. But, uh, you know, what was the difference for you in those two worlds? Was there one that you liked more than others or was it just another adventure and another experience of growth? Oh, I, you know, I, I miss theater. You know, I, I, I really couldn't make a, a, a living in theater, but I, I, I loved it. It's true to my heart. You know, there's nothing like uh, doing a play and uh, creating that. Um, but um, I, you know, I just slowly got interested in film. It's a great medium because, you know, a, a play is like a vapor, it evaporates, you know, um, after the show's over, it's never again. A film, you know, will last hopefully forever for a long time. So that's another reason why I just do film now, um, you know, so, but, uh, but love in theater, like you said, I mean, you know, the difference and I, you know, I've acted in theater back in New York before I came out here and, and did what I did and also film. It's a different kind of experience, right? It's a different oh, yeah. acting. It's a it, it just it just feels so much different than working in, as an actor in a in a film. Absolutely. Um, it's more gratifying, actually. Mm -hmm. It's it's much more gratifying doing a play as an actor or even directing. You know, I mean, it is so gratifying to to hone the work every day and, and you can really find your craft there in theater. You know, I feel bad for these kids that they all want to be Tarantino now and they all want to be filmmakers and stuff. And they skip all that stuff and go straight to film school, you know, and then they, they learn all the technical stuff and everything. They, they, they don't know how to talk to actors. They don't know how to direct actors. You have to be in theater to get it, you know, and all the old guys, all the old, you know, like Shane Black and these guys, you know, they they were all theater majors. You know, they studied theater and then went into film. Well, what do you what do you bring? Obviously, because you've had that varied experience, both, you know, directing actors as a director on, in a film, um, having that experience from theater. How do you work with actors? And this is for people who are, you know, in the film industry or directors just hearing this. You know, what's kind of unique about the way you try and work with actors, knowing that you've you've been on both sides of it. You've been the actor. You've been the director. You have you have a knowledge of, of all the pieces. I help them find the layers in their character. You know, uh, so much. So many audition, auditions that I watch are just people learning their lines and there's no thought behind the, the no um, decisions uh, made in in, in even the in any of the dialogue you know they're they're so connected to the words they're so 
they're holding on to the words way too much and uh, they haven't made choices about what they're saying. So theater really teaches you. And what I've learned is to uh, how to add layers in an actor's performance and, and, and to help them make some decisions about the character that they can, that becomes an action, right? You know, a choice has to be an action, you know, in a character, when you're building a character. So, um, and, and those are the things that you learn in theater. You're never going to get them in film school. They're never going to happen. Um, and uh, so that's, that's what I've taken away from theater. And, um, and, you know, and I've seen it happen with other uh, friends of mine that are directors that have, have theater background. You know, it's fascinating stuff to watch, you know. Um, yeah, I can remember during Gods and Generals, uh, uh, Ron Maxwell was directing. I was sitting behind the camera with him on the monitor, and uh, Bobby Duvall uh, did a, a small monologue. And we both at the same time went, hmm, like it was good. It was almost perfect. You could have cut and print, but there was something missing from it. So I watched Ron go over there and whisper something in his ear. And Duvall goes, I can't play that. And he goes, oh, oh. said something else. He goes, and you could see the light come on in this man, this old man's eyes. He just went ding. And I've never seen any such a, a different performance in my life. And just one word set him in another direction. And so I asked Maxwell after that, I said, what the hell did you say? I waited until after we were offset. And I said, what did you say to him? Oh my God, I, I could have never seen anything like it. He said, well, I wanted him to be, um, forget the word, he, exuberant or something about his monologue that he was saying, because he's supposed to have made a decision about crossing the, you know, into, into trying to go to DC uh, and, and come in from the back. And he said, uh, try to be zealous about it. And he goes, I can't play zealous. And he, and then he went oh, uh, joyful about your decision. So in that one word, boom. Triggered him emotionally. Yeah. And he, he took it and ran with it, you know, Right. And you can do that with, you know, good actors, you can give them just a, a word or two, you know, others you have to coax a little bit, but to help them find the layers in their character and it makes all the difference in the world. Now, did you study like, you know, when I was studying, I studied a lot of different schools of, of thought and acting. Obviously, there's a lot of different uh, things that you can study. Did you did you kind of key in on any particular version that was working for you or did you study a lot of different uh, acting techniques? What was what was your uh, I mean, I studied with Robert Lewis, uh -huh. who was a, a, mount, a, a founding member of the actor studio. Um, I. Uh, I even went to a couple of seminars on, uh, on biomechanics. Um, uh, and then of course I, you know, was at the actor studio for years. Um, and that's from the Stanislavski, you know, right. stuff. So I, I, I got a bunch of a, a little bits and pieces of all of it, you know, and I just took what, you know, like Bob, Robert Lewis, Bobby Lewis, always just like, learn it and forget it, you know, learn it and forget about it, you know, so I, because you can also be so fixed in your study and, and what you're studying that it just shows in your acting. Right. You get trapped into that, that, <laughs> that style as opposed to, right? Oh, Being, yeah. 
being yeah. authentic and being real. I mean, well, I know I studied with uh, HB Studios in New York, and then I studied Meisner, and I studied a bunch of other things, um, Michael Chekhov, and a bunch of different uh, techniques. But you're right. You know, you find what works, and then you forget about it and use it. Um, oh, did you go to the, what on Bank Street, uh, that place on Bank Street in the village? Yeah, HB Studios. That's when they were. Yeah, yeah. Um, are they still there? I, I bet they are. I guess they are. I don't know. I, I forget the uh, uh, Uda Hagen was Uda. there. Yeah, yeah. Uda, Uda was there when I was studying. Famous. And yeah, some famous uh, acting teachers. And that's kind of where I started out. Never expected to act. That was the last thing on my agenda. And next thing I know, I was studying acting. And there you go. Um, I, I went down the journey like you, man. Um, but let, let's pivot. Let's pivot. You know, you 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 moved out to L.A. You moved mm -hmm. into film. You obviously acted in film. Tell us a little bit about some of the acting that you did in film. And then I want to pivot you over to um, directing some of the movies that you directed so I can share those with the audience. Yeah, sure. Well, the acting part will be really brief. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, you know, I just, uh, you know, I had an agent. And I, I went out and I, I got a few roles and I, I, I missed out on a, on a few a, a, a roles that would have changed my life. Uh, and then after I, I lost a couple of those, I just was like, okay, this is not, I am not so, you know, I'm just not a megalomaniac narcissist. So, you know, I think I would have gone a lot further had I been, but I just don't oh, care. <laughs> I, I said the same thing. I said, I wasn't crazy enough to, 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 I just, to see it. I just wasn't. Dramatic, yeah. Um, but you know, I, 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 uh, you know, I had some, you know, like, I got left behind on uh, what is the Vietnam War movie? I got cast in it. Uh, Oliver Stone cast me twice in the film. It got shelved one year. The next year, I went back in. I got it again, and um, I got left behind. And then ten years later, I'm sitting on a hill and uh, doing God's uh, Gettysburg, and I'm talking to Tom Berenger, and I and I told him about the experience. He goes, "Oh no." That was you. You were the guy that got left behind, and I'm like, yes. <laughs> what was it? Um, with Charlie Sheen, Tom Berenger, the the war movie. Uh, I I can't remember it. It. I can't remember it. But but you acted yeah. in Gettysburg, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's yeah. Uh, Gettysburg, let's, gods and generals. Um, yeah, let's. I think uh, we have um a. Uh, a little video of, of you in Gettysburg. Let's put that. Oh, well, fun. Yeah. Let's watch that. Whoops. That was good. That was nice and quick. I know. Tabla, good morning to you, sir. Morning, sir. Good morning, Major Taylor. Will the general have some breakfast? No, thank you. We have flapjacks in small mountains. Fresh butter, bacon, wagons of ham, apple butter, ripe cherries. Really ought to pitch in, sir. Courtesy of our host, the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Strike hard, and we must strike quickly. What artillery is that, Major? Don't know, sir. General Heath is in front. My instructions were clear? Yes, sir. To all commanders, avoid contact with the enemy until the army is all up and concentrated. And General Heath? He has instructions not to force a major action. I told him myself this morning. We should move closer to the front and send for General Heath. I must know what is going on. Yes, sir. Major Taylor, have Traveler saddled up. I'm going to have a look around for myself. Yes, sir.
General Hill. Sir. Beg a report. Yes. Very strange, sir. The situation is very confused. What's happened? Well, sir, I moved in this morning as directed. I thought it was only a few militia, but it... I must have all possible information on the enemy's friends. Major Taylor. Sir. I want you to ride forward yourself to the highest position and observe, and do be careful. Yes, sir. Help! General Rhodes attacking up there, and Panda and I, we have three divisions, sir. We can switch them. General, sir, I saw only two federal corps, first and 11th. And General, I saw Early's lead columns coming down north of Rhodes' lines. He'll be engaged any minute, sir. So we've got 20,000 infantry coming down almost behind the Union lines. God's will. General, it would appear the fight is already underway. Panda back to report that the enemy is falling back, sir. They're on the run. Very well, Lieutenant. Sir, General Early says the enemy's caved in on the left flank and are heading back to Gettysburg. They're all running. Very well, thank you, Corporal. Henry? Sir. I want you to find General Hill's chief of artillery. Yes, sir. Tell him I want fire placed on that hill, as much fire as possible. Yes, sir. Very well. Major Taylor? Yes, sir. I want you to deliver this message in person. Find General Yule. Tell him the federal troops are withdrawn in confusion. It is only necessary to push those people in order to gain possession of those heights. Tell him to take that hill if... All right. I'm not sure. <laughs> it may go on for a while longer. Now please cut it off. <laughs> so <laughs> that must brought back some memories um, for sure. But I figured uh, at that point, let me... Uh, it's on for a little bit longer. Um, we're going to remove that and move on. But hey, so you, you did that years ago. Yeah. Um, and there's a line in there that you mentioned, uh, flapjacks. And oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Tell me about so, that. Tell us about that. Okay, so, um, you know, I live uh, I live about six months out of the year in Gettysburg. And uh, and still, I mean, I've been there for about three or four years. But, I, you know, there's a lot of tourists. About two and a half million people come through Gettysburg. Uh, a year. Yeah, it's a destination, uh, you know, in the East Coast. And so people I'll be walking down the street or be at the Farnsworth house. People walk up to me and say, oh, my God, flapjacks in small mountains. I'm like, yep. I'm like, oh, you know, it's like uh, it's pretty hilarious. I mean, my sister and her husband came to visit. And I said, hey, listen, it was Memorance Day, you know, the Lincoln's uh, address. And um it's huge, you know, and I said, don't be surprised if I have to stop and take pictures with people. And they're like, what? Come on. Are you kidding? You know, I'm like, nope, serious. And I mean, like every 10 feet, I was like signing autographs and, you know, um, taking pictures of people, you know, reminds me of like when grandpa, you know, from the Munsters opened that little place on Bleecker Street. And he was always taking pictures with people walking down the sidewalk well this is the the poster from the movie right right here yeah yeah, yeah. so so obviously people know you from that but yeah. and then you just recently um because in, in the theme of gettysburg you directed a movie called christmas yeah gettysburg christmas gettysburg gettysburg christmas right yeah. so that's you and you're finishing that up right now is that yeah, correct? 
It's in post in Los Angeles, yeah. Right. And you and you filmed that in, in Gettysburg itself, correct? I did, and I'll tell you it was it was one of the best shoots I've ever been on. Um uh I and you know, I, I just called all of my friends who are actors and said, Hey, I, I got a part for you and I can't pay you a whole lot. And uh actually uh Bruce Boxleitner was in it and he's a dear friend. Um he used to be married to my ex wife and we actually have a son, two sons that are half brothers. Uh, and um, uh, we just had so much fun. I, I literally called old friends of mine, you know, Kate Vernon. I hadn't seen her in a while. And that's, you know, I want you to play, play in this film. And she's like, yeah, she come in, you know, came down from uh, Canada to do it. Um, it was a great experience. And, and the town of Gettysburg, we had over 250 extras, uh, you know, we had everywhere was that we went was free. We had two, you know, 15 pastor vans for free donated by a church and, uh, you know, they're brand new vans, um, you know, all the locations. It was one of the best shoots ever, you know. Well, that's cool. And, and when do you anticipate that being um, out so people oh. can see it? The premiere is in Gettysburg at the Majestic, uh, November 27th, and it'll be uh, December 1st. It'll be in the cinema there. And then, you know, just because it's for the town. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we haven't sold it yet, but, you know, we've got some good leads. Excellent. Excellent. You know, it'll be ready for this Christmas for sure. This Christmas, and that's the plan. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing that one. Um, it sounds like you had a lot of fun. I know you were telling us some stories and you know, while we were hanging out. So that's pretty cool. Another movie that you did, which we talked about where, you know, I got to see and, and, and um, hang out with you in DC was uh, Last Man's Club. So tell us, uh, here's the uh, poster from it, um, Last Man Club, excuse me. And tell us a little bit about that. What was that story about? And then I'm gonna play a trailer from that. It was, uh, it was one of those God shots where I was in New York City and um, I, I looked through the, I was in the back of a cab and I next to, next to me were four guys in a, like a 65 Dodge Dart. They were all in their uniforms. They were all in their seventies. They were obviously world war II guys. Um, Cause it, this was in the eighties at the time. And he, they had a plastic flag stuck in the dashboard and um, they were drinking beer. They were like drinking beer in the car. They didn't give a shit. They were like, ah, you know, and I just, I don't know, I, I got a lump in my throat looking at them. And I got back to my hotel and there was, in the New York Times, there was a, a story about a, a World War I veteran who was um, part of the Last Man Club. And he's sitting in a, it was a wonderful photograph. He was sitting in a wheelchair holding a flag. And in his other arm, he had a, a, a bottle of cognac. And uh, he said, you know, he, he was the last le man left. He says, but now I'm too old. I'm, I'm too old to drink the wine, the, the cognac. He was too old to drink it. He was in his nineties and, you know, um, the last one left from his troop is uh, his corps or battalion or whatever. Um, but it was a really cool article and it gave me the idea uh, to write about these four guys in this Dodge Dart. And uh, I'm, I, you know, I think that the, the B-17 is one of the most beautiful airplanes ever made, especially for World War II. It's a, kind of a romantic. Um, uh, it's just a beautiful airplane. So 
I thought it would be great to build the story around that. And so uh, you wrote the the play uh, screenplay and directed it as well, yeah. correct? Yeah. All right. So yeah. let's uh, let's take a look at um, uh, a trailer from uh, Last Man Club, and um, let's see if I can get it up on the screen. And tell me if you're seeing it. I see it. All right. Here we go. And can you hear it? Yeah. I Well, not yet. But it. Okay. Sometimes work comes one step at a time. Life didn't quite turn out the way I expected. Dad, you can't take care of yourself. You haven't driven since mom died. Hey. It's hard to explain the brotherhood of men and the experience of war. My son put me in here. He said, I'm crazy. Do I look crazy? I gave you all that I had. Here you go. You and I may be all who's left. Looks as though you're the last man. So I'm calling on you to make good on the oath that we all took all those many years ago. Afraid your father's been kidnapped. Who would want to kidnap an 80-year-old man? Apparently, an attractive young woman in an evening dress. Who's she? Romy. What kind of name is that? This might not be a good idea. When are we stopping? Thought I'd drive all night. If you see a liquor store, pull it. You're better than that. No, no, You're I'm a not. Decorated war hero. Stop it! I'm not a hero. I'm a bum. I'm sorry I didn't stay in touch. I owe you my life. They should be giving me a medal for it. Isn't that a sight? This is where I belong. I want to fly again. stick together. You know, I've been up in that plane, that very plane, many, many times, and that's the one that was, uh, that crashed in Dallas. Hmm? Hold on. You get rid of this? Sorry about that. Yeah, here we go. I said, uh, I've been up in that plane many, many times over the years. Uh, we made our movie on it. I'd flown on it way before we ever made the movie. And that's the very plane that went down uh, in Dallas a few months ago. Uh, that was that was all over the news. Another World War II plane came in on top of it and cut it in half. Wow. And, was that an air show there? Yep. In Dallas, the air show there, and we knew the pilots. We knew the several people that were on the sh on that plane. Wow! So it's kind of hard to watch when I see it. I was like, "Wow!" I mean, that that's a tough one. 
Yeah. Well, it was a very emotional story, obviously, and you know, you 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 took you took the audience on a journey because you you know these old guys there's like their last hurrah, and, yeah. and, they, and they find a way to you know to do the impossible and 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 get back and do it one more time. And uh, yeah, it, it was great. I you know watching it in the movie theater, I really really enjoyed it. I mean, you did a great job with it. But um, yeah, very cool. Yeah, you know, um, that's one thing I noticed about like. Uh, so many veterans get, you know, and when they get older, they're kind of swept under the rug and forgotten. And uh, so I wanted to pay homage to my dad's generation. Yeah. Through that. So, so I, you know, I have a choice now. I mean, uh, if uh, I, you have another movie called Bay House, of which I can share the screen, would you like to do that? And then we'll pivot into Africa. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I haven't seen that. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I would like to see it. All right, so let's let's do that one, and uh, mm -hmm. let's watch that, and um, then we'll talk about that, and then we'll uh, pivot into the other last piece of the story. Cool. So let me um, get this up on here. Everything! 
Oh my God, mother! I think uh, it's the beginning of the film and not the trailer. Yeah, you might have given me the film. So <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna stop there because as much fun as watching the whole thing. I don't have the time. <laughs> I think the trailer is a lot better than the film. So you know. <laughs> anyway, you know, to get to credit both of us, we're both been scrambling uh, making this pre-production on this movie. So. It's not surprising we were just scrambling to get all this stuff together for this show. So, um, but anyway, you did that uh, when, um, when? When was that done? Uh, that was uh, November. Well, I we finished shooting it in February of 2019. Um, and it was in post. And uh, my uh, executive producer was killed in a uh, plane crash. Hmm. So it took me another couple of years to to finish it. It was in theaters in November, some about you know a couple of theaters in November, uh, last November, um, and it's based on a play that I had written a long time ago. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So well, there's so much more we can talk about film, and obviously yeah. us being in the middle of pre-production, but there's so we got another big story about to come. So I'm going to do a quick transition, and then I'm going to come to that story. So here's a quick transition. And now we're going to go to another phase of your life. And I'm going to throw up some stuff. And this is basically uh, um, a map of uh, Africa. And the Sudan is right there with the, uh, with the uh, red. Um, yeah, it looks like it's close to uh, the Ethiopia border. Yeah, correct. The Nuba Mountains. Yeah. And, you know, here's a picture of a, a plane in the Sudan. And I'm yeah. going to just be, you start and then I'm going to start showing some pictures of you and some of the pictures of Sudan. But. You, you told me the story and I was just blown away. And that was why I went, oh, you're going to be in the podcast this Sunday. So uh, how did you end up of all places in the Sudan and, and tell us that journey? And then we'll sure. get pictures of it. And, and oddly enough, and oddly enough, you uh, uh, I didn't tell you how I ended up there. So it's kind of fun. Well, I'm going to discover now what you <laughs> I was uh, I was doing a film called Gods and Generals. So I was playing in a civil war. And uh, it was right before 9-11. And it was only about a week before 9-11. And I met this guy who, had come, who was living in Kenya. He's an American. And he, his father was friends with the director. So we, we were introduced and we started talking. We really hit it off. And I said, well, you know, why, uh, you know, we started talking about terrorism and stuff. And he said, well, um, there's been a lot of chatter and uh, something's going to happen. We don't know what it is. We can't figure it out. He gets a lot of intelligence from, you know, a couple of different sides. And, and he was like, I thought it'd be better if I came home right now. I said, wow. So you came home because something's going to happen, but you don't know what it is. And a few days later, 9-11 happened. Wow. And uh, after the smoke cleared a little bit, I called him. And I said, you know, we talked about it. And, uh, uh, he, he just offered me a job and he said, you know, why don't you come over? So, um, not long after that, I, I came, I went to Kenya and then from there we went to Sudan and, um, and I just got hooked onto it. I loved it. Um, 
you're drilling everything about it. I, I felt like we were really doing something. I mean, you know, uh, you know, Bin Laden was based in Sudan at one point in Khartoum. Uh, you know, which is the capital of the Sudan. Yeah, that's why they split. Um, it was yeah right. So so um so you know we did uh, you know we, we were bringing in sorghum and and uh, it's a Christian based organization persecution project foundation. Um, and, uh, we were doing so many different things over there, uh, and making a difference because, you know, he, he's a guy that walks the walk and talks the talk. Uh, he's just a solid dude. He's one of my best friends to this day. Um, and, uh, I, uh, he's very well known. He, yeah, I don't. Oh, no. Okay. Mm -mm. That's a different person. Gotcha. Yeah. Brad Phillips. Okay. He, yeah. So, um, yeah, I can tell you a lot of things that happened. Uh, I don't know if I'm at liberty to tell you a lot too much, but um, on, on air. But uh, I ended up, I, I ended up going there off and on for ten years and staying for months at a time. And then finally, in 2008, my son graduated from high school and moved over there with me. Um, and and. Uh, we had a lot of projects going on through them, but also I started a mosquito mist systems business um, along with <laughs> the other stuff. Yes, that's it right there. Those are the first ones made that I, I made over there. I imported, uh, exported a lot of stuff into, imported a lot of my machines there, but we boxed them there and everything. And uh, I, my son and I actually, we put them in, uh, in a lot of village areas, compounds, uh, even some hotels and some work compounds in Sudan, mostly in Sudan, but also we did them in Kenya on the coast uh, and in Uganda. Uh, did very well with them, actually. Um, so, um, and then my son left, went in the Marines, and I ended up uh, uh, being in Juba with a bunch of, uh, well, they're hired hired um, soldiers, you know, mercenaries, basically. Security is what we like to call them. I'm going to throw up a couple of pictures, and you, you, you may want to comment on them. This is one of the pictures that uh, you sent me. Um, yeah. And then another one. That said a Sudanese People's Liberation Army rally. That's my son right there in the green shirt holding the, the uh, AK-47. Um, that is a spent artillery shell um, and a burned out uh, tuchel behind me. Uh, those are huts that they live in or did live in. Um, that's a 50 cal president. Uh, that was a present from, I think it was Bush that sent that over. Um, father and son picture that I took. I just thought it was so poignant that that's, that's the life in Sudan and that's in the Nuba mountains. And that uh, that kid, uh, if you notice, he has a a spent uh, AK-47 shell in his mouth that he's using for a pa as a pacifier for a pacifier, and he's covered in uh, flies, and he's mm -hmm. not even swat swatting them away because he's just so used to them on him. Um, that's one of the captains of the of, in one of the armies. Um, so, so camera. 
<laughs> well, talk about going on an adventure and being courageous. I mean, so, the, you know, you get over there, you, you and your son, you, you've been there for many years, both in the Sudan and in Kenya. The Sudan itself, the period of part of that period you were there from what I uh, researched. I mean, you're looking at a, a civil war between the North and the South between 1995 to 205 when they signed the peace treaty. Right. Yeah. And then eventually yeah. 211, they separated between Sudan and South Sudan. That's right. Um, and it's like a population of 10 million people. North is uh, Islamic, the South is Christian and animist religions, right? That's um, right. So, and then mo many, many, many different tribes. But, you know, for you, you're, you're in this world. I mean, you're a, 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 a playwright, actor, director, and what the hell are you doing over there? So, I mean, you know, you, you were doing a documentary, you're doing some other stuff. You know, what was the you know, what were you trying to do? And obviously there was stories, you told us stories, I don't know if you want to share about how you almost got killed once and, you know, yeah. the risk of life. So tell, share a little bit of that because I just think it's, it, I mean, I, I sat there with my mouth open just fascinated. <laughs> you, man. Uh, I mean, well, you know, for one thing, you know, we, we live in the comfort zone in America, you know, and we get so used to the comforts of just this life and this bubble that we live in and what attracted me to Sudan was everything will kill you out there, literally everything, not just the people, not, I mean, the, the, the troops, the, the everything uh, doesn't, I mean, you can step outside your hut and, and a, you, a king cobra can bite you and you can die or a black mamba. I mean, everything will kill you. You can't get too close to the Nile River because the Nile crocs can run out and get you or the uh, hippopotamuses. They, they're very fast and they kill more people than crocs. Uh, so it's something that I just felt alive out there. I just felt so alive. And um, and plus, I felt like I was doing something to make a difference. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, working with Brad, we were we were bringing in food. We were also uh, evacuating people that needed to get to Red Cross, which is a three and a half hour flight just from the Nuba Mountains to the border. Um, you know, um, I was telling you last last night about this one guy. You know, there were war people too, but uh, this one guy we we pulled on the plane. He'd lost his foot because he was fishing on a fishing boat, and uh, a croc came out of the water and grabbed him by the foot and chomped it off right there. The day before, and uh, and like this little kid um, got bit by a snake, and uh, as his mother was handing him up, we were in Antonov, one of a Russian, big Russian plane, and it's high off the ground, and she was, you know, holding this kid up to me, and she kind of lost her grip, and I had to grab him by the bit arm, and all of the flesh came off in my hand, mm. off his arm, like like I just rolled up. It was like. I like rolled a, a long glove off, off like this. It just all came off and it was putrid. I ended up throwing up. Um, he, the kid lived, we, we got him to the Red Cross, but um, you know, I just, uh, it, it's, it was gratifying in many ways. Um, I, I got to really know who I was and, uh, uh, and, I don't know. It just, it, it, every day I felt alive there. I, I, and I felt like I was making some kind of a difference uh, and not just living for me, you know, um, and living for Christ, by the way. Um, so, uh, and, you know, working with Brad, we did a lot of, we did a lot of great things and, you know, um, I, I don't, you know, like you said, anything could kill you there. And obviously 
you know, it was exciting and you were doing good, but there was also, you, you, you had to feel that your life was potentially could have ended any time while you were there, right? You had, had to have that feeling. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, and you also had a moment, I don't know if you want to share that story, when when basically your life could have ended. I, I don't know if you want to go there with that story, but it's a powerful one. Um, yeah, no, I, you know, it was, uh, it was Christmas. Uh, I went to a Christmas party with this girl that I was dating. She worked for the UN and uh, we, it was very late when we left and we'd had a few drinks and we went up the wrong road and we got stopped and pulled out of our car and we had AK 47s, you know, pointed at us from all directions and, they tore everything out of the car and they were very agitated. That's one thing about the Dinka. They, they get very agitated, very agitated, very easily. And I think it's because they've been in a war torn, you know, uh, country for 40 years, but uh, it's they, the guy got in my face and said, get on your knees. And I, you know, I was already like this. And I said, I, I get on my knees for no one. And he's like, get on your knees. And I just felt like if I had gotten on my knees, he was going to shoot me because that's what they do. And I said, you're just going to have to F and shoot me. And then uh, my girlfriend started screaming, crying, because they didn't ask her to go on her knees. Mm. And, uh, and then she pulled her lanyard out from under her shirt. She was UN, 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 and all that. And... I guess, I don't know, that I, that was probably it. They they uh, they let us put our stuff back in the car and, and leave. Wow. But um, it was a moment, and, you know, I, I, it was either, you know, I was either drunk, stupid, or both, but I, I didn't, I was not going to go on my knees for anyone. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I only go to my knees to pray, but I don't go on my knees for another man. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it freaked her out. I... I was okay with it, but, but he did leave me with a nice present. He, he hit me in the chest as hard as he could with the muzzle of his AK 47, right in the sternum. And I had this huge, huge round bruise in my chest, but, uh, but I didn't, it wasn't a bullet hole. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> well, you know, it, 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 it's hard. I mean, I, I think, you know, just listening to you the other night, share some of these stories, you know, you realize, at least I do, and I know you do, is that, you know, how lucky and blessed we are for the world that we live in and the environment we live in and the country we live in. And the no matter, you know, I grew up in poverty, but my poverty was nothing compared to the people in the Sudan. My my situation was nothing like that. And, you know, and it's just like if you don't realize how grateful you should be, especially uh, the, those of us who live in this such amazing place. You know, and a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't realize how bad so much of the world has it. And, you know, you got you got to see it up close and personal and, and try and do something about it and try and help, which is, you know. Yeah, it's you know, it, it's funny to say this, but it's true. You can really find yourself alive in a place where death is every day. Mm. I mean, death is an everyday occurrence there. And. Uh, you know, I, I can, I remember, you know, seeing kids playing stickball and the next day, a couple of them are, are dead from malaria, you know, um, it, it's death is an everyday occurrence. And I used to watch them in, when I lived in Juba, I, I was across the way from a, a, a graveyard and every day I'd watch four or five burials and they, they roll, they wrap them in sheets and they, they lower them in about three or four feet of, of 
of soil. So, you know, there was a constant smell of death from the, the graveyard as well. As a matter of fact, one day, uh, the owner of the compound that we lived in, the dog walked into the cafe, which is a dirt floor and a grass roof cafe and a bar. The dog walked in with a, with a hand that he dug out of the graveyard across the street. Wow. So, <laughs> but, um, no, it was a great adventure. I, uh, you know, I was in a compound with uh, about 20 mercenaries that were doing uh, training with some of the guards, uh, president's guards, and some security work. And um, uh, that was a separate from uh, Persecution Project Foundation. I worked with them, and then I was working on my own uh, with my own ventures as well. So, yeah, I was over there until, you know, I rolled out a bit. I, I, a couple of things started happening. First, the, the peace started unraveling in Juba. That was one thing. Um, there were more and more uh, gunfights out of nowhere. And Juba is the south of the uh, Sudan, right? Yeah, right. yeah, South Sudan. But more and more, I would have to, I was in a Sears tool shed. Basically, it's a Sears tool shed with, some, with a cement floor. And I had a cot and uh, had, you know, uh, my computer with me and, and we had Wi-Fi there. Uh, we had an outdoor toilet, and, uh, you know, outdoor showers. And, but, you know, more and more there were skirmishes at, in the middle of the night, you know, and so many times I had to lay under my cot, um, you know, because bullets would just spray everywhere. And, uh, and then there was getting funky with the, the South Sudanese government. And uh, they came into our compound twice and ransacked everything. Things were getting a little frayed in 2010, 2011. And uh, I decided to, to go back uh, to the States. I wanted, to, I wanted to do a film as well. I wanted to do this movie uh, called Card Shark Mars on a play. Um, and I just... I'd been over there back and forth for so many years. I was like, you know what? You know, I think things are, things are getting ugly, um, uglier than they were. And I want to make movies. So I left. I just, that was it. That, that was it. Um, I've been back, but, uh, you know, to visit, but um, yeah, it was just time to go. I knew it was time. And, you know, uh, a year later, there was door to door fighting in, in Sudan. There was, I mean, door-to-door -door fighting it, it, the whole place in Juba. In Juba, the whole place blew up. I mean, yeah. I and, think they even tried to shut down the embassy there. If it, it may, They may have shut it down already. And then eventually in two, 2011, they broke between the North and the South, correct? Yeah. And the South uh, is... Uh, no, no. Well, yeah, they were. they had been doing it for, for a long time. No, they were already in, in the talks of doing it. I don't know if it was officially or something in the 2011, but we were already, we already had a South Sudanese uh, government, uh, it, you know, in 2005 on, it was already happening. Yeah. Um, the, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm multitasking is because I got a crew member coming in and asking for location. So that's, so we're doing a show and I'm still working uh, on our show, but um Anyway, you know, anything you want to add or as we finish this up, we're pretty close to the end on it. Um, anything you want to add to people? Just, you know, obviously you've gone on a lot of great adventures and you continue. And I got a feeling there's a lot more ahead for you. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, no, uh, that's, I guess that's it. I, you know, um, I love to make a film over yeah, about my Sudan experience, but if I do, I could never, ever go back to Sudan again. I would never be able to go back into the country. Um, I was, you know, friends with uh, the, the vice president of Sudan, and he was only vice president for a few months, and then um, he was, he, he was, Killed, um, and he was killed in a uh, helicopter explosion. Crash, yeah, yeah. But um, but I have a I have a screenplay, uh, a, a mini series about the experience of being stuck in the middle of Sudan. I, uh, me and my friends were the rainy season began. We were dropped off and nobody could get us out. We were out of food. We were out of water, and we were roaming around and in. Sudan trying to get to the Nuba Mountains. Uh, and we were several weeks out there to, I mean, if you, you know, I actually had to wrestle a goat down and cut it, cut its throat and, and uh, field dress it and, and, and cook it all in one, all in a couple of hours. And then we dragged the goat meat around in an igloo ice chest for another five days before we, uh, you know, we wound up the SPLA, uh, took us up into the mountains to meet Dr. Garang, and we. And that's uh, a, a Sudan People's Liberation Army (SPLA). Yeah. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And we, I'll never forget this. We're we're in two jeeps, and we're going like three miles an hour, and they're like a hundred feet in front of us. And I'm like, "What the hell? Why are we going so slow?" It's like we're going through a, a, a minefield, <laughs> and this guy was driving the head Jeep. I mean, I felt sorry for him, man. He was just going so slow and he was looking both, you know, over, over the wheels like this, scared as hell. And, uh, you know, it took about three hours to get through a minefield up to the top of where we're based in, you know, um, there's just so many stories. It's just, uh, it's mind boggling. It is. Well, I'm sure you're going to have some more. We'll have to do it again. We'll, we'll yeah. have some stories off of this movie that we are making here to, uh, in Alpharetta, Georgia. Say, so, hey, Bo, thank you so much. Thank you for being part of this. Thank you for joining the show, man. And uh, thanks for sharing all these stories with the audience. I appreciate it. Oh, you bet, man. All right. Pleasure uh, working with you, too. Hey, the same. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up the show and I'll, I'll, we'll be downstairs in a little bit all working right. on the movie again. See all right. right. All right. <laughs> See you later. See you later. All right. Thank you, everybody, for being part of this. I uh, hope you can join us every Sunday at 2 p.m., even when I'm in the middle of making a movie. I'm here at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Join us next week. My guest is a veteran and a motivational speaker, Alan Levi Simmons. So we'll be doing another show. And uh, you can always uh, subscribe to uh, Live Courageously at my YouTube channel. Um, thank you for being part of this and watching the show until I see you next week. Take care, uh, live courageously, and God bless everybody.